0: Everyone, I'm Margie Alaniz, and this is Farmher Talks: Thoughtful conversations to connect and inspire the farmher in all of us. As we all know, everybody eats, and all food starts at the farm. In a continuing discussion around farming and its complexity, and all of the different parts and pieces of the food chain, we are excited to bring you another Everybody Eats episode sponsored by Nationwide. So. Farming is complex, and whether you're on the professional side or the production side or somewhere in between, or maybe you have your feet firmly planted on both sides, we all rely on media that's out there to break agriculture down and to keep us informed. It is an imperative part of helping us all operate more efficiently and effectively and ultimately get food from the farm to the plate. As a communicator, I have always been in awe of journalist and entrepreneur, Sarah Wyant. I view her as a pioneer for all women in this industry and also in the media. And know that you are all going to enjoy and find real inspiration in her story. Okay, so it is Women's History Month, and as I said, we're going to be talking to someone who I consider an icon in this industry, Sarah Wyant, who is the founder of AgriPulse and a journalist. Sarah, welcome to Farm Hair Talks.
1: Thank you, Margie. Always a pleasure to be with you.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, for any of you who might watch the TV show, you know that Sarah and I already caught up last summer on her family farm, but... uh, For anybody who doesn't watch the TV show, let's talk a little bit about your background in agriculture, Sarah. um, I know you grew up on a farm. Can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and the type of agriculture and how uh, maybe that formed some of your path in life?
1: Yes, I'd be happy to. I grew up in eastern Iowa, not too far from the Amana colonies, on a rolling Iowa farm that uh, had, at the time I was growing up, uh, cow-calf operation, uh, hogs, uh, a feral to finish, and also uh, corn, soybeans, oats, and, uh, and a little bit of uh, clover uh that was uh as at that time a cover crop uh, in the early days of of doing that sort of thing so nice pasture and um, we really had a great upbringing there uh, my folks weren't really very well to do in the early years uh, they raised four kids there but uh, we were happy and well fed and didn't really know any better and, and just really enjoyed that lifestyle and the opportunity to grow up on the farm
0: yeah, well, I, I, like I said, got a chance to experience those rolling hills, and they are very pretty. People always think Iowa's flat, and it is absolutely not flat. Um, no as, way. As we both know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so talk to me a little bit. Um, I, I know that we'll, we'll get into your um path and entry and progress in this industry, but talk to me a little bit about farming still today uh, and how you're engaged in the farm back here.
1: I was fortunate to always be engaged with my folks on the farm, even though I was not the farmer, so to speak. Uh, There were three girls and one boy in our family, and my brother was the one who was uh, being selected to do all the farming, and he did a great job at that. Uh, but as a person who always studied a lot of the issues with my dad, he's a big history buff, and we'd talk about a lot of different politics and policies. And so when I went to Iowa State and graduated in journalism and political science, I had a chance to do an internship at Wallace's Farmer Magazine, and many of your listeners might know that it's part of the Farm Progress Group. And so that was a great opportunity for me to connect my learning on the farm with the journalism skills that I had gained and also bring some of those different topics back to the farm and talk to the family about changes that we might be able to make. And so over the years, I always stayed very engaged with my mom and dad as they were eventually retiring and running the farm out. But um, always kind of kept my finger on that pulse as well uh, to see how things had changed. And uh, obviously technology has advanced so dramatically Uh, And, you know, from the days of being a little girl with no cabs on the tractor and not a lot of safety gears to now having really high-tech, almost uh, space like, uh, equipment in tractors and then, uh, combine cabs. It's, it's really been a big change.
0: And so I, I believe your farm, is, um, you manage it from a distance. You, you don't like, you know, drive up to a farmhouse in Iowa, which I think is, is a cool place to be, right? Um, that we, speaking of technology, we have the ability, you know, to manage Land to manage a farm, to manage uh, the operational pieces from afar, and so that's that's the role that you play today. And it's a century farm, right?
1: It is. It's been in the family for over a century, started by my great great grandfather, and with the ability to keep hold of that over the years, uh, with a little bump during the depression when uh, actually the grandfather, great grandfather on my mother's side, who was a board member of the local bank took possession of it for a little bit and then uh, sold it back to uh, my dad's uh, uh, side of the family. So we've really had a great history there, a lot of wonderful memories. And you're right, I I don't farm it uh, in person. I have two tenants, uh, one who is at the Homestead Farm and another one who is farming a 60-acre piece that is um, uh, his Uh, his land holdings kind of surround that. So it just made sense to kind of divvy it up that way and to see how different tenants were going to react to different things that you want to do has really been interesting.
0: Now, this is probably a a silly question to you because I feel like you literally have your finger on the pulse of of policy and and what is happening in agriculture. And um, so, you know, it built into your life, I guess you could say. You probably have many resources in in managing it from afar. But have you found uh, places that you rely on or things, processes, uh, something that has made it easier for you to manage that from a distance?
1: Well, certainly the internet and the ability to, you know, text or call uh, the tenants that are there. Um, Also having resources. So, for example, uh, one of my early mentors was Ann Jorgensen, and she farms just one county north. Uh, Ann uh, has been somebody who understands farming from, uh, farm to fork, to speak so to speak, and she really has had a great career as a commodities broker, uh, as a head of the farm credit administration. Uh, so she's still there, and she's one of the first persons I called and talked about lenders that I should deal with when I bought the farm and to get advice on some of the rental rates. And uh, So people that I've met over the years in the business uh, have been very, very helpful, and and I'm not afraid to call and just say, hey, I really don't know about this. What do you think? And so it's that network of individuals who have really helped me kind of hone my skills, and I have to say I still have, I still have a lot to learn. I've been working with USDA on trying to get my conservation plan implemented, which I tried day one to get that moving, But, you know, you had to go through a lot of the hoops to make sure that you were in line and all the applications are filled out, and the paperwork. And so after I did that, then, you know, we went together and put a plan in place, but at the same time found out that, well, maybe some of the funds wouldn't be available this year. Mm -hmm. Then you have to find somebody who's willing to do tiling. Well, they're all really oversubscribed right now. Yeah. And what Mm -hmm. about somebody who can do the bulldozing? Well, they're already busy with this plan. So. Trying to put all those resources together at the same time to do something when you can get cost share funding has really been a challenge. I think I'm going to get some of it done this spring, but it, it's like just trying to make sure all the, the moons are aligned, so to speak, to, to make sure it can happen.
0: So what looks easy on paper isn't always as easy functionally when you, when you need all those parts and pieces. Um, yeah, but... I, I love what you said about if you don't know something, you know, you've you've created a network, you just reach out and, and ask and even if you don't have a network, right? Like find the people, ask the questions. There's there's no harm in that. It's only there's only up to go from uh, not understanding something. So um, I'm really glad that you said that. Yeah,
1: that's absolutely true. And people are so eager to help. I haven't met anybody who said that's a stupid question or I don't know why you're asking that. It's just that they, you know, need to know what you need help with. So I'd encourage anybody else to reach out.
0: I felt like that even with starting FarmHer, right? I was like, I, I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. And once I started asking for help, I, I, no matter who you are, where you are, you know, if if at least you ask in the right way. Um, maybe politely, then people are willing to help. So uh, that, that's really good. So you mentioned Anne, who is somebody that um, was visible and that that has been a mentor to you in the industry. Um, you know i i'm a big believer of the saying if you see it you can do it and um you know seeing those people seeing the the women in those roles i think it always plants that seed right that that i can do this too and and hey i've got a network built in and um i i think i've told you before that uh, Back in the beginning of my career, I started in crop insurance, and um, I, I accidentally landed in crop insurance. I never intended to have a career in agriculture, and here I am, you know, 20 years later. But. Um, I, I always remember that there were so few women that were visible, at least from, from where I sat and what I could see, and that you were one of those people that I would see on a stage or I would hear speaking or, uh, you know, read um, some of the articles or the stories, and um, it always was like a shining light for me to, to be able to see that and, and I really do feel that you are an icon in this industry. So let's talk a little bit about AgriPulse and your career. Um, so w- when did you start AgriPolls? Tell me a little bit about your evolution as a journalist and an entrepreneur, I guess.
1: Well, it gets a little confusing because I tried this
0: earlier in my career in a little
1: different fashion. But uh, going back to the time as an intern and then getting a job with the Farm Progress Companies right after I graduated from Iowa State was just wonderful for me. Uh, But after I started getting into the job, it was 1980 when I started, and I could see all the fallout from the farm financial crisis, and people were committing suicide, and there were a lot of divorces and bankruptcies, and it was just a very, very different time for so many farmers that I wanted to focus more closely on what could be done legislatively and from a regulatory standpoint. One of my early stories was with a farmer from Western Iowa who had just signed up for a farm ownership loan as a beginning farmer, and he was near Stewart, Iowa. And I can just remember going out and visiting with him and his young family, and they had Uh, only three years into what I think was a 40-year loan, uh, uh, farm ownership loan, might have been 30, but um, their their loan was called, and they just didn't have any options, and they didn't know who to talk to, and that was a, a situation that was happening with a lot of families, and so I decided to quit my job and to focus on just writing about some of those things, And so I launched uh, with the help of the Small Business Administration there in Des Moines, talked to them about business plan and talked to them about developing my logo, my brand and all that. And originally um, just kicked off doing that as a um, newsletter that would come out every two weeks. Well, this is before the internet, right? So that seemed like a pretty frequent type of publication, given that farm publications were mostly produced six weeks before you saw them in the mail. But, uh, you know, I did that and I loved it, but I continued to freelance. And actually, Farm Partners hired me back to freelance on some of these same issues. Also wrote for Soybean Digest and DTN. Basically, I was uh, feeding my newsletter habit uh, because you start from scratch and you just got to continue to build, right? Yeah. So I did that for about 10 years and just loved it. Um, Raised two boys uh, during that time and, uh, you know, worked out of my home and, was able to juggle all those you know balls in the air and and also started getting engaged with a lot of farm women's leadership groups mm-hmm. uh, these were really essential for me to network with folks yeah. it's where I met people like um, uh, all the women who are involved with women involved in farm economics yeah. Naomi Benson from Colorado was president at that time and Carolyn Levins from Col- from California American Agri women and and Jody Hag up in North Dakota with National Pork Producers uh, Council, uh, even people like Ruth Gerdes, mm-hmm. who you know, and the crop insurance industry in, in Nebraska, yep. and then um, my good friend, Linda Robel, who owned a... A lot of the land out there in Grimes and, and where the, the mall is uh, in West Des Moines. It mm-hmm. was an incredible sod farmer and, and mentor to me. So all that networking really, really helped launch my career. Yeah. But fast forward to that, Margie, I uh, then had an the opportunity, not, not on, similar to you, where I loved what I was doing, but offered the chance to become the vice president of Farm Progress and Editorial uh, the only woman to have re- reached that uh, level in senior management in the country, and at least in ag publishing at that time.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was just such an incredible opportunity that I um, Can't say stopped enough. the business, sold it, and um, moved into that job yeah. and uh, did that for 95 to 2002. And then um, when that position was eliminated through a series of different changes there, A friend said, you know, we liked it when you did your newsletter. What would you think about doing it again? And so 2004, we kicked off and all digital. Again, just me working out of my home. And uh, here we are today, the largest uh, publication group that is focused on ag and farm and Rural policy out of Washington D.C.
0: Well, you, it crosses my email uh, multiple times a day, and I can tell you that there's many publications that you know you get those emails and and you you don't even stop to read the the titles in them. But um, when when yours crosses, I always stop because I know that there's something there that I need to know, and um, so I'm so glad that you did step back into it. Uh, And and it just goes to show you can have a plan for your life, but you know what? Everybody, the the path will take you where it's going to take you and and you kind of have to roll with it, right? And uh, sometimes those decisions, I I just heard something interesting that I don't think I'd known before. Um, The Small Business Development Center is here in Central Iowa, you said was a part of you getting started the first time. And uh, they, they were instrumental in helping me get, get my feet under me, at least, right? It was like um, I, I had an MBA and, and experience in business, and, uh, but you know, when you start something of your own, it's kind of like, "Now what? And so uh, that, that was interesting to hear. Um, so, okay, I'm guessing. That the path has not always been completely smooth for you, and um, as you mentioned, you know I've I've gotten the chance to step back in. Uh, I I still have uh, my feet firmly planted in farm her, but I've gotten the chance to step into a role that is visible and. Um, is important to farmers and ranchers in this country and and uh, on the risk management side. And I found myself sitting in an event, listening to Sarah Wyatt talk a couple weeks ago, and um, I heard you tell a story about maybe a time where something or somebody acted in a way that that wasn't ideal right and diversity and inclusion are are buzzwords I feel like they're they're everywhere we look right now as they should be it's about time um, but uh, would you mind sharing with me uh, you know maybe one of those I don't even want to call it a bump in the road because I don't want to to say that somebody who who doesn't have you know good things to share <laughs> is, is even a bump in the road, but has it, you know, w- when those times haven't been smooth sailing, how have you dealt with it?
1: Yeah, well, I think we all have challenging times in our lives and they sh- they show up in different ways uh, just as a little bit of background. So uh, for those of your listeners who aren't familiar, Farm Progress had 18 magazines when I joined ranging from American agriculturist in New York to California farmer in California, and it was owned by ABC, uh, by Cap Cities ABC. Mm -hmm. So uh, lots of incredible opportunities uh, to rub shoulders with senior managers and some really high test people. And then of course, Cap Cities was purchased by Disney. So we were owned by Disney for a while. And I had all these opportunities to travel and meet some terrific people. But um, not too long after I accepted the job, I was at an event and I had two other VPs. There were three of us in total. And I heard one of them saying across the room to some people that the only reason I got the job was because I was a female. And of course, I knew better that I had talent and vision and a lot of great ideas for what I was bringing to this job. And I actually confronted the gentleman and said, you know, that's that's not true, um, but it was Hurtful um, to have that kind of, you know, even back in 1995, to think that somebody's going to tell you that you're not qualified, that you were just a quota. Um, I'd actually ask, you know, all sorts of people whether there was going to be anything to trying to fulfill uh, a job of that nature uh, with anybody other than, you know, someone who had the best vision for the company. And I was very, very certain that I had that. Uh, but this is something that, you know, I saw in 1995 and unfortunately sometimes still see today. Yeah. Uh, so I think you just have to, you know, <laughs> roll with it and understand some people are going to have that kind of perspective. And, you know, now I'm CEO of my own company. I don't have to deal with those sorts of folks, but um, they're still out there.
0: Well, unfortunately they are. I mean, you know, I, I recently have experienced a comment, not exactly like that, but, but something similar, you know, and. And um, I, I love what you said that you had to confront it. And I don't think confrontation always has to be bad, but I do think it's an important thing to say, hey, this is what I heard. Here's the problem with that. And let's let's have a mutual understanding of, of the harm that those comments do, not just to me, but other people, you know. And... Um, I, I guess I call it like I had to put my big girl pants on. Like, those are never fun things to have to say that to somebody that, you know, you did this and, or you said this, but I think that that's one of the paths forward, right. In in helping people understand that, yes, you are capable and competent and, and, you know, deserve that respect. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, you know, it was a, it was a different time for a lot of people and keep in mind, I'd started with
0: that company as an intern and now I was the boss of yeah. a lot of them. So, yep. you know, they were seeing a lot of change. Challenging position all around for sure. Um, So speaking of that, things have changed a lot for women in this industry, right? Like we're seeing young women come out of uh, ag ag degree programs in like massive numbers, and it's it's uh, quickly growing. Um, You know. In your opinion, while while the numbers of women are growing, uh, let's talk a little bit about not just not just women, but diversity overall in this industry, and uh, kind of your your thoughts around uh, what. What we have to do, like what work still needs to be done here, and um, you know how we can be more inclusive.
1: So I wrote an article last August about this because I had so many friends reaching out after George Floyd's death and just saying, "Oh, we have to do something." You know, we have to address racism and this and this and this. And, but I was like, "Okay, but what are you going to do that actually produces a different outcome?" Is all well and good to be talking about this, and I think especially it's all well and good if we keep listening to each other about about this. But for the most part, how do we actually attract more diversity of thought, diversity of skin color, diversity of perspective mm-hmm. within our organizations and accept it? Uh, I think that's a big challenge for a lot of of folks. And what I found was in in the writing of the article is that a lot of groups have been trying to reach out to communities of color Mm -hmm. and might get uh, an intern or a job candidate here, but yet those candidates weren't sticking around because they weren't working with other people that look like they did or who thought like they did. And so um, it's not just bringing in one individual, it's it's uh, creating a culture where you're very open to diverse candidates and you work hard to recruit more than one um, so that you are actually saying, you know, this, this is the kind of place and the work environment I want to create. Mm-hmm. And I think since that article and also with a lot of other discussions that have gone on, We've seen how ag groups are working much harder with organizations like Manners, which is a minority uh, association in ag and related sciences. Uh, We're seeing a lot bigger push, even within the crop insurance industry, uh, to make sure that all the... Uh, the, the universities that are focused on yep. uh, HB, the HBCUs to make sure that they we're doing a better job recruiting from there. Mm-hmm. And and also making sure that there's a comfortable culture when those individuals are hired. So not just the hiring process, but that the, there is a, <clears throat> a good acceptance of diverse opinions once they do join a workforce.
0: That's all... Really important, and I, I, I love that. And I've been kind of living in this world lately of, of really trying to understand what we can do to turn that dial not today, not tomorrow, but it's a long term look, and um, you know, rather than just talk about it. So I, I really appreciate that perspective. Um, okay. So this is a really hard question. I always think if someone asked it to me, I'd be like, "Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, Just because, you know, it's a little uncomfortable sometimes to talk about yourself. But what do you think is your biggest accomplishment as a business owner, as a journalist, as as a professional, uh, you know, as a human being? What would you say your biggest accomplishment has been?
1: Oh, that's an easy one for me. It's my two boys. Yeah. Um, I am just incredibly proud of the way they've grown up and uh, one of them is in the business with us, who I never would have even thought would end up in the business with us, but mm-hmm. he's just doing a fantastic job and the other one's an engineer and in doing great work. And so uh, just the fact that I've been able to to raise those two boys and, um, and, and build a business and, at the same time has just been wonderful in my book.
0: I'm sure you had your moments where it didn't feel like all all the balls were staying up in the air but um, you know (laughs) Yes, that's for sure.
1: I don't think any parent ever does, you know. And the good thing is that uh now once they get a little older you can kinda sit back and giggle about it and say, Do you remember that time where we couldn't quite figure out this or that? And and uh but you but you make it through and uh Perseverance is key.
0: I think I had one of those moments this morning. I won't. I won't tell all the ins and outs, but it wasn't a pretty mom moment. But we 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 got it all taken care of. Uh, so, Sarah, when it comes to staying engaged in the agriculture industry and um, you know running your business, growing your business, operating in this, um, you know. Agriculture is a challenging environment. What is it that makes you step up to that challenge day in and day out?
1: Well, um, obviously, I love to stay on top of all the issues. But in, in addition to that, I love to give back to the industry. And so I do speak to a lot of different groups. But I also am involved with the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. I'm the president of their foundation, and we work really hard to give scholarships and internship funding for students so we can bring more and better communicators into the industry. I also have been very active in different organizations like Farm Foundation and American Ag Editors over the years. And one of the things I'm most excited about in terms of giving back is that uh, this next year, I've uh, donated funds to iowa state university where we're going to have a a learning experience created in memory of my friend linda roble and mentor linda from uh, grimes Mm -hmm. that will bring a student uh, who has studied both journalism and science into washington dc because there has really been a dearth of journalists that I've been trying to hire, at least, who really have a scientific background as well as understanding politics. And so I'd like to bring the writing, the science, the politics all together in a training package. And so we'll be launching that here this next
0: year. That's really exciting. That's, that's great foresight. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to, to watch that unfold because I think, you know, those are the things sometimes that like live in our minds. Of wouldn't it be nice to to be able to bring these together and and uh, to be working with a school like Iowa State to do that is is pretty cool. So congratulations on that. That sounds uh, very cool. Um, okay, one last question for all of the women sitting out there who are like. Margie, when she, you know, was 20, 21 or 22 and, and saw, saw you speak somewhere, um, you know, what, and Margie's not 21 or 22 anymore, let me be clear, but <laughs> what what is your advice for that next generation of young women, of of women who are coming into this industry who are looking to create paths for leadership?
1: You know, one of the photos that I keep in my office is of me holding my little baby Colt uh, up in the air, uh, not over my head, but I was holding it up. And my grandpa used to tease me and say, uh, you know, I was like five years old. And he said, if you can keep lifting that horse, there's nothing that will stop you in life. And of course, you know, we couldn't lift it when it got older and heavier, but uh, I think surrounding yourself with people who embrace that attitude that you can do anything and not surrounding yourself with people who may be more negative to your career path is is very key. And then uh, secondarily is what we talked about earlier, and that is just building your network of wherever you go and whoever you meet take time to ask people questions and to learn from them and to figure out how whatever you've learned, you might be able to put forward and the knowledge of what you want to do in your own career. So those would be a couple of great things that I think I would pass on to your listeners and especially those who are just trying to create that career path that the, you can do anything you really want to do. But you need to have, be optimistic and, and create a culture for yourself where you allow yourself to do that.
0: Very true. I, I love that. And, you know, if, if you build those bridges with people along the way, it's just amazing to see, uh, you know, over time where that goes. So wonderful. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that at some point I, I built some sort of a bridge with you. And I'm so glad that we were able to connect Me here too. today. <laughs> and uh, I really appreciate your time and uh, thoughtful input right here on her Talks.